because I'm excited to get in the Word of God with you to start this new year right, to start it off in a place where you can build your life on Him. You can be uh, immersed into Christ, fully in. Because this, this walk that we have, this walk with Jesus, is not a halfway life. It's not a hobby. It's not a side project. It's not a passion thing. It is all in. And I'm, I'm always reminded of what the Apostle Paul said in the book of Philippians uh, when he's deciding whether or not really to stay on the planet, whether or not he's going to live or die. Uh, because he's at a place where life is tough. He's in one of the worst prisons you could put somebody in in the Roman Empire. He doesn't know if he's going to die. He doesn't know if he's going to live. Um, and at a certain point, he, he talks like God's given him the choice. Like He says, I don't know what to decide, to stay or to go. And he says this, but I know this, to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, if I die, I know it's gain. I, I'm not losing anything. I get to be in my reward. Life is going to be a whole lot better on the other side of this. I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm going to step into to what God has prepared for me. I've done a good work here on earth. I'm comfortable in saying I'm ready to go. But then he said this, if I live, it's Christ. Now, maybe that doesn't make a lot of sense to you because you think of Christ as just a name for God, but Christ is the Messiah, the anointed one in his anointing. If I live, it's all going to be about him. It's all going to be about Jesus, Christ in me, the hope of glory. When I live, my life is about Christ. It's filled with Christ. It's empowered by Christ. It's immersed in Christ. My life is hidden in Christ, as Paul said. So when he says, if I'm going to live, it's going to be Christ. If I die, it's gain. You know, he doesn't leave another option. He doesn't say, I could live as Christ, I could die, it would be gain, or I could just live and go on with life like everybody else and find a way through life and, and just sort of, you know, settle down and, and, and figure out what it looks like. No, he had two options. In our church, in our bodies, in our, in our reality today, we could present ourselves with like five, six, seven different options. I wonder if we're ready to say, if I live, it's going to be Christ. When I die, it's gain, but here on earth, I'm going to spend my life pursuing the kingdom of God and his righteousness, empowered and hidden in Christ. Because this is the kind of life that we need to live. This is the kind of life that God's prepared for you. These are the kind of Christians the world needs today. Have you ever watched a, a TV show or a movie that has like a priest or a pastor in it um, who's not the bad guy, uh, but is, is a sort of a good character that says a couple wise things? When Hollywood presents a good minister... The picture of a good minister is, in Hollywood's eyes is a minister that doesn't actually believe anything. You know, they, they talk to them and they go, well, I don't really believe in miracles. Well, I don't know if Jesus really rose from the dead. They're so lukewarm. All they've got are these like, you know, little proverbs, little, little sayings and, and, and nice counsel on, wow, this is what I would do. I mean, something like your grandfather would give you. But there's no power there. There's a form of godliness, but it denies the power. And I think that's what the world sometimes is looking for, is a safe Christian that doesn't really believe anything. But what God is looking for is a, is a believer. And what the world really needs is a believer that is so full of Jesus, that they bring Jesus, they bring the Spirit of Christ, they bring the power of God to every place that they're in. That's what the world actually needs. They bring the love of God. They bring the power of God. They bring the truth. They bring the righteousness. They bring Whatever Jesus came to bring, they bring it. Reconciliation, redemption, restoration. That's what a believer brings with them. That's what the world needs right now more than ever. We're at a time where people are desperately searching for something real. 
desperately searching for something true, desperately searching for the cure to what ails them, to, to, to that, that, that hole in their own heart, to that, that need that God created us with that can only be filled by him. And people don't know it, so they fill ourselves with all these other things, and we end up with all sorts of other addictions and, and obsessions and coping mechanisms and medications and all these other things that we try to get ourselves back to normal, but we can't get there because what we're really looking for is God. Here, as believers, this is our time. It's our time just like it was our time 100 years ago and 500 years ago and 1,000 years ago. It's still our time because we are still a church that has the Holy Spirit, that has Jesus walking with us, that has the Father's love in us. We're ready for this. And I want you to be ready for this. You know, today in our live service in in person, we're baptizing some believers. Uh, I'm really excited about that. Uh, There's some people that have come to the Lord. They're excited about this new life and they want to celebrate that, commemorate that, take that step that is not just a commemorative thing. It's not just a, a symbolic thing. It's more than that. It's a command of the Lord. It's a powerful uh, a part of every Christian's walk, and in that is baptism. You know, Jesus didn't say, if you feel like doing something cool after you get saved, try baptism. It's a neat little symbolic thing. No, he said, that's, that's a command. We were meant to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. We are meant to be those that, that not only preach the gospel, but baptize new believers, baptize disciples. And this is a powerful thing. And I want you to go back to that moment. If you were baptized when you first believed, then I want you to go back to that moment and remember what it was like and why you did it. And maybe you didn't understand why you did it. Maybe there was some, uh, a whole bunch of things that didn't make sense to you. Maybe you kind of had a glimpse, but you've gained revelation. You've, you've learned new things about it. You've gone deeper in understanding of what took place. But go back to that moment and think about what it meant that you were making a decision to fully follow Jesus. You were making a decision to cut the old life and start the new life. You were making a decision to go all the way with Jesus. Because when you are baptized, the Greek word, that we get the word baptized from, baptizo, means to immerse. It's actually a word that was used in the trade language for those that would dye fabric. They would uh, completely immerse that fabric in the dye. And when it came out, what, what it looked like was what that dye was. If you immerse this cloth in purple fabric, there was not a part of it that came out white. There was not a part of it that came out a different color. It came out purple. And you could not wash the purple off. It is now purple. And that's what's meant to happen in our life as we're baptized into Christ, as we're baptized uh, into his death and raised in his resurrection, is we're not meant to come out the same. We're meant to come out forever changed. And even though we're doing that live in person right now, I want you to remember what it felt like for you. If you've never been baptized, I encourage you. We're going to do this more and more, and I encourage you to sign up. Go to the wordchurch.ca slash baptism. Sign up. And, uh, and, and tell us, hey, I, I need to be baptized. Notice I didn't say I want to be baptized because you should want it, but I need to. This is part of your walk with Christ. You, you were never called to live a life where you dipped your toe in the water of Jesus, where you just said, well, this is another part of my personality. This is another part, this is another hobby I have, or this is like my club that helps me live a better life. This is not my crutch. This is not my counseling session. This is my life to think of what it means to be immersed. You know, when we baptize those people today, 
When they go under the water, they're going all the way under. There's no part of them that's going to be left out. They're going all the way under. And when they come out, you can't just, they, they're going to walk out of that water and, and, and you're not going to be able to say, did you get baptized? I can't tell. Something looks different about you. No, they're, they're going to be drenched. You're not going to be able to disguise the fact that they were soaked in water. They're, they're changed. They, they look different. And the tragedy of, 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 of the Christian life that's not immersed in Christ, the Christian life that slowly uh, steps backwards into stagnation, is that at some point in your life, the, the great tragedy is that you would become indistinguishable from the rest of the world, that you would become just another person who's trying to live a nice life. And your life wouldn't really be immersed in the power of God. And if that's you today, if that's where you're at, I've got good news for you. You don't have to stay there. I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to be condemned. I want you to be empowered and hopeful that the life that you've been called to is meant to be a life where God is always bringing you deeper and deeper into him. I want to talk about that baptism for a minute. You know, the water baptism symbolizes something. It, it symbolizes that death, that we are baptized or immersed into Christ's death. We died with Christ. We are baptized into his death. And we come out of the water, just like Jesus came out of the grave, we come out in newness of life. Colossians 2 says that when that happens, it, we are raised through faith in Jesus. There is a faith that's involved. That's why, uh, you know, when we baptize someone, there's a qualification. It's not uh, we don't baptize babies who don't know any better. We don't baptize somebody who just says, I think I need to get a, a fire insurance. The reason we get baptism, the reason we baptize someone is because they have faith in Jesus. It, it means something because there's faith. Philip said to the eunuch, uh, when the eunuch asked him, you know, can I be baptized? Philip said to him, you may if you believe with all your heart. That's the qualification is faith. And so, like I said, that's, that's why we don't baptize babies is because, well, that baby doesn't have any faith. Baptism is an act of faith, not faith in you, not faith in your pastor, not faith in even the doctrine or creed, although that, that matters, that's important, but really faith in Jesus, faith in God, faith in his power to raise what is dead to life. You know, throughout the New Testament, the writers of the New Testament constantly point back to baptism. And, 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 and water baptism is one part of that, but it's not all of that because water baptism is a symbol of something. It's, it's, not, it's more than a symbol because something is actually taking place when you're water baptized. It's not just merely an object lesson. It's, it's powerful in its own right. But it's also, when they talk about baptism, they're also talking about the baptism into Christ, which means that you are fully immersed into Christ. So one part of water baptism is that we go under the water and the Bible says we're being baptized into his death and we're being raised, we've been raised into his life. And so that when we look at baptism that way, we think, well, the old, the old self is dead. When I gave my life to Jesus, the old self died. My new self, I'm new in Christ. I, I went under into the grave. I came out alive with Christ. And that's part of it. The other part, because, you know, when you come out of the grave, you don't pick up the corpse with you. You leave the corpse there. You leave that death there. But there's another part of baptism when he talks about being baptized into Christ, which is more than just the water baptism part of it. It's, it's really being immersed into Jesus. It's being immersed into the Spirit of God. It's being hidden in Him. And that baptism you never come out of. You're never meant to come out of that water. You're never meant to come out of baptism with Christ. You're meant to be immersed in Him. That's not something you leave behind. 
So it's more than just a moment in your life. It's more than just something you look back on and say, that was meaningful or significant to me. Baptism is more than just a landmark in your life. It is that, but it's so much more. I really believe that we need to live, live a baptized life, a life that's fully immersed into Christ. And so like I was saying, in the New Testament, the writers continually point back at baptism. Often they do this in times of controversy, in times where the church has gotten off their mission, gotten off the truth, gotten off of their identity. And this serves as sort of a, a, an orienting point, a, 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 a north star, if you will, that says like, hey, when you were baptized, this is what happened. And he points them back to baptism and says, don't you know what that meant? Don't you know what that means to you today? In fact, I want to read a couple of those verses to you right now. In Galatians chapter 3, it says um, in verse 27, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Listen to that. All of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. That means there's not a part of you that's not covered with him. You are all about him. And then he says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. You know, when he writes this, it's in the midst of a controversy about whether or not the Gentiles needed to go back to the Jewish ways and act like Jews if they were truly to be saved, if they were truly to be considered Christians or followers of Jesus or heirs of, of the promise of Abraham. Paul says here that when you were baptized, something happened. You were baptized into Christ. You were clothed in Christ. And then he says, so there's no Jew or Greek. There's no slave or free. He even says there's no male or female. Now, listen to this. We know throughout the scripture that male and female matters. That We know in the scripture that your identity matters. That We know in the scripture that where you come from matters. All these things, he's not washing them completely away. He's not saying you're no longer a gender. He's, no, he's not saying you lo- no longer have a, an ethnic heritage. He's not, long, no, not saying you don't have a job when you leave church. But he's saying none of these things are bigger than your identity in Christ. In fact, in Christ, this outweighs all of them. Today in 2022, wow, that's kind of weird to say that. In 2022, we have a crisis in the church, but it's not a new crisis. I I don't mean to alarm you. It's not something that we haven't faced before, but it's an identity crisis because we're trying to figure out who we are. And the identity crisis is not really whether or not we believe the Bible or whether or not we believe in, uh, you know, it's not a, really a question of doctrine or creed. It's, it's a question of distraction, of being divided on issues that are not central issues. It's a time where the church, especially in the Western world, is being drawn in, in hundreds of different directions and identifying more with these side things than with the core thing. It's a time just like the churches all throughout history had to deal with, where people are making divisions in all the wrong places. You may have found yourself caught in the middle of them. You may have found yourself in arguments, and you're saying, why why are we arguing about this? You may have found yourself saying, I don't feel at home with these people anymore because they don't believe what I believe about this issue or about that issue. And you wonder why you don't feel like you fit with them because you still believe the Bible, you still believe in Jesus, you still believe in the power of God. But because these side issues we don't believe, we don't agree about, and these side issues become bigger to us 
than the central issue. We're allowing ourselves to be divided. You know what's interesting is often when we hear um, the writers of the New Testament point back to baptism, it's usually when there's division in the church. And they point back to the core. They point back to your history. And I think there's a reason for that. Number one is because they're showing that we were all baptized into Christ. We're all about him. We are one body in Christ. This should be bigger than everything. But it's also acknowledging something else. that Usually when we find ourselves divided on these other issues, it's because we've lost our first love. It's because we've been drawn away. We're no longer living immersed in Christ. We're not walking in that fullness of Christ. We've become distracted. We've become seduced by other things. We've become drunk on other things when we should have been sober-minded. And the church today, I'm not going to tell you that I'm right and you're wrong about this. There are side issues that we might disagree on. There are side issues that we might say we kind of agree, but we disagree on some points. I'm not even going to get into what those are. You might have ideas in your head because right now there are certain things that are bigger than others, but these things have been around for 2,000 years. It's all, there's always going to be issues. There are always going to be things that divide the church. But what we need to be is so full of Jesus, so full of the Spirit, so immersed in Christ that suddenly, whether we're Jew or Greek is not the important thing. Whether we're male or female is not the important thing. Whether or not we're slave or free is not the important thing. That all the divisions go away, not because they're not there, not because these issues aren't real, but because they, they pale in comparison to who we are in Christ. He says, you've clothed yourself with Christ, and so no longer are there Jew and Greek. And you might have said, well, you know, I, I don't really think ethnic issues or racial issues should be big to us. I don't really think they should be divide, dividers in the church either. And yet, you might not feel that way about racial issues, but you may certainly feel that way about political issues. Or you may feel that way about all uh, a ton of other different issues that to you are important, and they become more important than Christ. I'm asking you today to come back to a place of immersion. Come back to a place of baptism. Come back to a place of identifying with Christ in such a way that it's so much bigger than everything else. That sounds difficult because it is not the way of the world. You see, the world's gone in a certain direction, and, and there's a whole tons of division in the world, but there always has been. And the truth is, what we choose to unite ourselves by, the Facebook groups we belong to, the people we like to talk to, the people we like to spend time with, what we choose to unite us is also the things that choose to divide us from the others. That, that These are the circles we've drawn, and those that are inside the circle, are, is, that's our tribe. And those that are outside the circle, you don't belong to us. And throughout the church, even in the New Testament, they were dealing with these issues, and they had to be corrected. In fact, sometimes had to be outright rebuked because it was a symptom of, of, of them falling out of that place of immersion into Christ where they say, we're all about Jesus. In Colossians chapter 2, he talks about this again, about baptism. And he, he says, you know, because of this, weren't you baptized into Christ? Weren't you raised through faith in him? Weren't you baptized into his death and, and raised through faith and resurrection? And he says, he goes on to say, so nobody is to act as your judge, whether or not you celebrate this festival or whether or not you celebrate the Sabbath this way or you eat this food. Nobody's to act as your judge on these side issues because we need to get back to the core issues. And he goes on in Colossians chapter 3 and says, you've 
put to death and put aside the old self. You've put that off and you've put on the new self, which has been created in Christ Jesus. It's being renewed to an image of God, renewed to that new self, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Jew or Greek or slave or free or barbarian or Scythian, but Christ is all and Christ is in all. See, he goes back and says the whole point of this is that Christ is your identity now. The solution to our strife, the solution to our division is not to say these other issues don't matter. It's to say this matters way more. Because I can't tell you that your opinion about who should be a prime minister or president doesn't matter. It does matter. All I can tell you is this. Does it matter as much as who Jesus is? And if it does, we've got a problem. Who Jesus is is everything. What his word says is everything. And when that is everything, these other issues fall in line. We, fall, we come into unity with him. We don't draw lines where he didn't draw lines. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about the fact that the church was in a state of spiritual immaturity. They were spiritual babies, not because they didn't know enough, not because they didn't study enough, not because they didn't have enough research. No, they were in a state of spiritual infancy because they were divided, because they had let divisions come in. And he says this, he goes back and he says, I, were you baptized into Paul? Were you baptized into Peter or Cephas? Were you baptized into Apollos? No, you were baptized into Christ. Once again, bringing it back to baptism. I believe we need a group of people that are baptized into him, immersed into him, soaked with him. Like when those people first come out of the water and they're dripping wet, you can tell they've been immersed. Can we, people tell we've been immersed in Christ? Or do we look like we've been immersed in a thousand other things? You know, what's interesting is um, if you study the, the, the early church writings, now this is not scripture, so you don't hold it on the same level of authority, but books like the Didache, uh, which speak of the uh, teachings passed on from the apostles to the next generation of believers. And they wrote these things down, and like I said, it's not scripture, so you can take it as you want. But it is interesting and it's, it's, it's enlightening in many ways to see how the early church approached pretty practical matters of church and, 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 and the practice of walking out their faith. And in one place, they give instruction on how to baptize people. And it's interesting when you read it because they treat it as a very holy, very important thing. It's not treated lightly. It's not treated as just a day at the beach. It's very important. But they give some practical um, uh, uh, instruction on how to baptize. And, and, and there's like, you know, some things that, that aren't as major. There's some things where they say, if you can't do this, do this. What's interesting is they say, if you can, find some living water. And what that means is flowing water, like a river or a stream. And the reason is, well, I mean, I'm, I imagine there's a lot of spiritual uh, metaphor there that, that we're, we're, something is being washed away. It's something clean and pure. But it's also very practical. I mean, think about it. What's going to be cleaner? Uh, water that's just stagnant, just been sitting around, or water that's flowing? That's going to be way cleaner, way, way more hygienic. And so there's a practical application, even though there's, there's spiritual application too. That running water is full of life. You can drink that water. You, that water is not growing all sorts of weird things. It's, it's, got, it's, it's flowing out of itself, and it's, something's flowing into it. Our lives are similar. We, 
We need to be fountains and springs of life. We, we need to be uh, uh, places where living water is flowing in and out of our life. That, uh, I mean, this is a question we all need to ask. Is, is not whether or not I'm going in the right direction or not, but uh, that matters. But also, like, has my life become stagnant? Do I still have an outflow in my life? Am I pouring out to others? Am I letting Jesus use me? Am I letting God use me and minister through me? Do I need to draw on him? So I have outflow, but do I have something flowing in? Am I drawing from him? Am I being stretched in such a way that I'm needing to use my faith, that I'm needing to rely on him and his strength and his anointing? See, if you're doing the same things you always did, but you're doing them now, you've done them for so long, that they no longer require any faith, they no longer stretch you, they no longer demand any real reliance on the Spirit, then I, I'm going to tell you, you're in trouble. and <laughs> You need to snap out of it. You need to wake up because your life has become stagnant. And stagnancy is a dangerous thing because what happens is, is when water becomes stagnant, it grows all sorts of things that it shouldn't grow that's not healthy for drinking. I mean, would you drink from a swamp? I mean, of course, you know, if we had to, we, we could pray, you know, if I drink any deadly thing, it would not harm me. But God gave you smarts. God gave you wisdom to know, like, don't do that. Don't drink out of a swamp. Don't drink out of a pond. It's, it's, it's been growing all sorts of things that are going to be very dangerous, possibly, for you. They're not going to be good for your system. If you want to take a drink, what would you prefer? A stream of water, a river, a, something that's flowing, a glacier that's flowing in and out? Or would you rather drink from a scummy pond. Of course, we'd all choose the living water, the flowing water. And in my life, if I, if I don't have something flowing out of me, if I don't have something flowing into me, I've become stagnant. Other things will grow. So you find other things that you're obsessed with. There's, there's other things that have taken your attention. There's other things that are causing you fear. There's other things that are bringing you joy. And your life is growing all sorts of things, but they're not life-giving things. They're deadly, they're poisonous, they're problems, or maybe they're fine, maybe they're uh, sort of benign, they're not causing a lot of problems, but they're not life-giving either. This is why when the church gets stagnant, the church has all sorts of divisions that have nothing to do with Jesus, because a stagnant church will grow scum. A stagnant church will grow all sorts of stuff that it shouldn't be growing, and your life will become about something else. You know, the scripture says that in the last days, people will heap upon themselves uh, teachers and according to their own lusts and desires. I don't know if the Apostle Paul knew how easy it would be in our day to, I know he couldn't have known this when he wrote that by the Spirit, but he couldn't have known how easy it would be today to heap on yourself teachers. You can heap on yourself uh, hours and hours of teaching based on whatever you believe. Like it doesn't correct you, it doesn't grow you. It doesn't build your faith, but it tickles your ears. He says, having itching ears, they heap upon themselves teachers. Having itching ears. You know, one of the, one of the signs of a stagnant Christian life is that your, your, your soul wants to get fed. Your brain wants to get fed more than your spirit. And so you begin to look for new things all the time, things you didn't know, things you find interesting, things that cause you to be freaked out or excited, but not that build your faith. You know what I've noticed about Revelation is that the Revelation, your life is going to be about God bringing Revelation to you continually, opening your eyes and shining light on things. But it's layers of Revelation. And so a lot of times what we think Revelation is is something new that I've learned. When I've come to realize, and you'll come as you see the scripture, that Revelation is less about learning something new and it's more about going deeper into what you already know. 
We're constantly on the crave for something new we haven't heard. And do you know what? That's a worldly thing. When Paul preached to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17, it says that they really didn't listen to what he had to say. They, they listened to some of it. They said, well, maybe you can come back and talk more about this. But there wasn't a lot of faith there. There were some that believed, but many that didn't. And it says those that just kind of said, well, come back and talk to us again. It says they had nothing better to do. All they ever did was talk or listen to something new. That's all they cared about. Give us something new. They're just entertaining their mind. In fact, that's what the scripture says. You'll heap upon yourself teachers in accordance with your own lusts. And, and the Bible tells us that lust is a, it's a desire that leads to sin. But lust comes from the mind and it comes from the flesh. And so you'll start listening to teaching teaching, you'll start looking for videos, you'll start reading books that are less about you becoming more like Jesus, less about you going deeper into Christ, and more about you feeding your own ego, your own mind, or finding ways to justify why you can do what you want to do. And this is something that we need to watch out for. The Bible tells us this. And what's the cure? It's not to automatically shut everything out, it's to go deep into Jesus. I found that a spiritually mature person, you can't judge them. The scripture tells us this. You can't judge them based on what they know. You have to, I mean, and we should, I'm not talking about judging people, but I'm saying you can't, you can't discern whether or not your life is mature or immature based on how much you know. It's really about the fruit of the Spirit in your life. It's about the love in your life. It's about joy, peace, patience. It's about how you, how you deal with other people. It's about how you go into Christ. It's, it's about how you read His Word. It's it's about how you're able to be corrected by God. It's funny, but the most mature people I know are still being corrected by God. And I look at their life and I say, you're so perfect. I mean, like, how, how, how do you still, how is God still fine-tuning things in you? you? You seem like you've got that life I'm looking to lead. Like, you, you, you're following Jesus full force. You're seeing the miraculous. You're, you're, you're loving people. You're walking in truth. How is it that God is still saying, I'm working on you still? I mean, it's like watching the Indy 500 and seeing these cars that are going, I mean, that just seem to be at peak performance. They're the perfect machine, you know? They, they're fine-tuned to go fast and to be accurate and all these other things, and yet companies pour millions into them every year to improve on them because they're never perfect. Well, we as believers are never going to be perfect until we see Jesus face-to-face -face and are changed to be perfectly like him. So every day we're becoming more and more like him. If you can't find yourself being corrected, if, if you don't respond well to God nudging you or even outright saying this is wrong, get out of there, then you may have uh, a proof in your own life. You may have a sign, I've become stagnant. I've, I've, I've not really gone closer to Jesus. I've not grown mature. I've just grown my ego. I've grown my head. The Bible says that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. I bring all this back to the idea and the truth of resurrection, the truth of baptism. Let me read you something from Romans chapter 6. He's talking about dying to sin, living to God. We've talked about this, and, and, and I love it, and we'll talk more about this. But he says in verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. If we've died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ having raised from the dead is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. A couple of months ago, we talked about this in depth. But I want to go back to those first few verses where he says, if we've been baptized into him, we were baptized in his death, we were raised in his resurrection. He says, we too might walk in newness of life. Your life is meant to be a resurrected life. It's meant to be a life that is full of baptism, full of immersion into him. The Apostle Paul wrote, my life is hidden in Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. My life is hidden in Christ. You can't find me without finding him. That's the life I want to live. I want to tell you today, I want to go deeper in this year than I've ever gone before. I'm not finished. I'm not tired of running this race. I am not satisfied with where I am. That's not discouraging to me. That's encouraging. We've still got higher to go. We've still got further to go. If your life has become stagnant, if your life has become about a lot of other things and you find yourself divided with other believers, divided in your, yourself, and you feel like, like you just you don't fit, can we go back to that place of baptism where we say, who are we all about? What are we all about? You who have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to be set apart. I think this is so important for our, our church and our, our, our world today is that Christians sanctify themselves through, the, through what, I say sanctify ourselves in the sense that the scripture says it. We can't do that in our own strength. It's a work of Christ in you. But that you make the choice that we're gonna be set apart for him. I think this is a year where we're going to need to be set apart. And you might say, well, I already am. I, I don't fit here and I don't fit there. I'm talking about not being set apart as in feeling like you don't fit, although that, that sometimes happens when you're an alien and a stranger. But what I'm really talking about is that we set apart ourselves unto Christ. You know, being set apart in the New Testament is less about who you're set apart from and more about who you're set apart to. It's not about not being like them. It's about being like Jesus. And I want you and I want us this year to go so much deeper than we've ever gone. And if you've been craving it, you've been craving something real, if you've been fighting these internal battles where you feel like something is not matching up, something is not right, I want you to know that there is a craving in you that God put there, a craving for him. Don't fill it with other things. Don't fill it with a thousand different theories. Listen, I've got theories about the scripture. I've got theories about side issues that I may never know the answer to. But I want to tell you, I can't build my life on those theories. That's not my daily bread. It's not life-giving. Those theories aren't as important as what is the rock of revelation that Jesus is building his church on. That's what matters, friends. So Paul said to the church, don't get caught up in all these vain discussions, useless discussions about genealogies and myths and, and, and legends, all these other things, but get back to the central thing. And I'm asking you to join us in that journey. Jesus said to the church in Laodicea, 
You're no longer hot. You're, you're no longer cold. Laodicea was known for their healing minerals, hot springs. They, people went from all over to, to, to have some of these. They believed they had uh, curative qualities that, that was like, you know, these minerals and were very good for them. And, and, and they talk about salve that they would sell for people's eyes that would, would help them with, with the things they were dealing with. And they also had these cool waters that were flowing in that were very refreshing. And Jesus talked about it and said, you're neither hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm and I'll spew you out of my mouth. He's talking about a church that is no longer hot or cold, but they're lukewarm. I don't want to be that church. I, 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 want, to, I want to bring the refreshing of the Spirit. I want to bring the healing power of Jesus. I, I want to be hot for Him. I want, to, I want to bring that refreshing life. I want my life to be defined by Christ. And today, those people that are being baptized, they're making a decision. I'm not turning back. I'm going all the way. That decision is going to lead them to some hard decisions in the future, like it has for all of us. Because choosing to follow Jesus means you have to leave some things behind. And believers, whether you're a new believer or a mature believer, and when I say mature believer, maybe it just means you're not, you might not be mature, but you've been a believer for a long time. There's a difference. But if you're someone that's been saved for a long time, or you've been someone that's been saved for mere weeks, you need to make a decision. Am I going to be a, defined by Christ? Am I going to see others as defined by Christ? Or am I going to make myself defined by all these other things? This is the year I want us to go further and deeper. And to define ourselves by the thing that matters. We are meant to be a city on a hill. We're meant to be a light in a dark place. We're meant to bring salt into a world that's being corrupted. We're meant to bring God's flavor to the world, but also God's preservation to the world, God's healing and cure to the world. We're meant to be those that stand apart, but don't separate from people. Go back and minister to the same people God saved us from. And he wants to save you. And I pray that today you'd dive into that salvation with both feet. You'd dunk your head. You'd come out drenched in, in him. And you'd never want to say, I never want to get to the place where people can't tell whether or not I've been baptized into Christ or not. I always want to carry that around. I am immersed in him. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you are our God. We're your people. You've set us apart for such a time as this. Lord, today as we step in, and we celebrate those that are being baptized today. We also recognize that we're meant to live a life baptized into you. Not a stagnant life, not a lukewarm life. Not a life that finds the, tries to find the boundaries and the borders between the world and, and the faith, but wants to go deeper and further into you. Lord, if we've grown stagnant, if we've grown lukewarm, wake us up. Shock us with that water. You know, bring us back to the place where you splash that living water on our face and say, wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead that Christ would shine on you. We love you, Lord, and we don't want to be anything but yours. We want to be known by you. We want to be known by your name. And if that brings us to a place where we're persecuted for your name, we'll gladly take it because it means that we're identified with you. If it means that we get to walk in your glory, and we get to walk in your goodness and your truth. If, if it means that we're separated from everyone else, but we're united with you, then that's worth it. We're united with your people. We're united with your family. We're not aliens and strangers from your covenant. We're part of that covenant. Then that's what we want, Lord. God, I thank you that today you've called us to go deeper and further. And we accept the call in Jesus' name. Amen.